You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Hello and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. I'm Jo Mernier and today I'm talking about one of the core assets of any successful business and any business that wants to be successful and that is company culture. A strong and positive culture creates cohesion, it brings teams together, it enables talent retention, it fuels engagement, it fuels productivity. All these things make for a successful business and one that's more likely to be future-proof. So that's why we're talking about culture today. And to tell us more about that, we're joined by Brett Putter, who's an expert in company culture development and works with companies and leaders worldwide to design, develop and build high performing cultures. So, Brett, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. We're happy to have you. Now, Brett, you're the CEO of Culture Gene. Um, you have an extensive background in executive recruitment and to date you've, you've published two books and the most recent one was published just last September uh, 2020 called Own Your Culture, How to Define, Embed and Manage Your Company Culture. So you're definitely the right person to be speaking with us today. So just to start with the basics, can you tell us about company culture, what it is um, and why it's so important to businesses um, and, and why they should spend a lot of time and money building one? Yes, so company culture, really, the way I like to look at company culture is it's the one sustainable competitive advantage that a CEO has complete control over. And most companies, most leaders don't seem to treat company culture in this way. And it's, it's, it's what differentiates you. It's the glue that makes your company tick. And it's actually, in, in a lot of cases now, um, one of the main drivers of what's going to make companies come out of this very difficult pandemic um, in, a, in a strong position to take advantage of their, the, 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 future of the future of work, really. So I believe company culture is, is, is the missing link, and I believe it should be a, recognized as a, as a business function in the same way that sales, engineering, and marketing are in companies. And you mentioned just then um, that, business leaders have complete control over their, their, their culture, potentially. Um, but I was just curious to know, um, how accurate is that? For instance, if you've got a, a long-standing company, uh, quite a large company, and they've had, they've got staff there that have been there for years and perhaps, you know, stuck in their ways, um, how easy is it to, to change their, their thoughts? And um, do, do the business leaders really have complete control over that? Yes, uh, yes, they do, um, assuming that they have the board. If you're talking about a, a large company with a, a long-standing history and a, and a board, if the board are behind what the CEO and, and um, what the team are prepared to do, then they do have complete control over it. And if you look at somebody like Satya Nadella, you know Microsoft is is a, is a super tanker-sized business, and over the last uh, since he took over the, as CEO, he literally has turned that culture around and turned the business around. And that's because he had the board support and he understood what the power, the power that culture could bring to his leadership and how he delivered on, on his plan. And I've always believed that culture was something that was all about people. Um, but at Culture Gene, you also utilize technology. So could you tell us more about that and, and how it works? Yeah, so about 
18 months ago now, I was approached by um, two remote work companies to help them with their culture development. And I realized at the time that my in-person workshops weren't going to work because um, obviously remote companies don't get together all the time. So um, I started to develop this uh, a piece of software around my process, replicating it digitally. And um, so I basically over the last 18 months have built a product out and built a product out. And now we've built a platform where fortunately in this pandemic period, I've been able to work with companies because I use um, software and tools to run the workshops I do and to help with the gratitude or feedback giving, et cetera, et cetera, in the company. So it was, it was very lucky, but um, it's put us in a very good position moving forward to help companies who are uh, either distributed um, or fully remote. And when you start working with a company, um, whether it's remote or whether it's um, face-to-face, as hopefully we'll be back working face-to-face soon, um, where do you start? You know, what is the process like when you when you go to a company um, and, and, you know, exactly what, what, what initial conversations do you have to sort of get the ball rolling? So the, the process we run is a three-stage process where we define or refine, embed, and then, and then manage. So we help the companies help the company define or refine their values, mission, and vision. And then we embed the culture into the leadership team, the processes and functions of the business. And then we help the leadership team manage that on an, on an ongoing basis. And where we start is with the mission, vision, and values. If most of my clients have done some work around the values and the mission and the vision, but to be frank, it's mainly aspirational and not really lived. So the first thing we will do is actually understand what the current values of the business are, what the aspirational values of the business are, understand what the impediments are within the business to achieving the, 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 exec, you know, the excellence that they want to in their, in their culture. And that'll be done through surveys, it'll be done through workshops, and I do one-on-one interviews with the leadership team and an extended group of the broader company. So essentially we're a mirror and and we will basically put the mirror up to the company and say, this is what you told me and this is what I'm seeing in, in all of the data. So these are this is what your you know this is where your values should be and yes your maybe your mission and vision are right, but Currently, your values are, are slightly off, so we need to refine those, and then we start then to embed those into the business. And this might be a finger in the air question, but how long does it take for a company to work through these processes? Is it an ongoing process? So we we work with companies for three months or twelve months, and mm-hmm. then it's an ongoing process. So culture never stops, as you know. You've always, you've always got to work on it and invest in it. Um, but uh, either three months. Um, to help them the, with the definition and refining or and start the embedding process, or we do 12 months where we go through the entire process with the company uh, in a very hands-on way, sort of with the company on a weekly basis, in some cases daily basis. Mm-hmm. And what are the sort of key differences between working with a large company versus um, a smaller, say, a startup? Um, so, so what are the differences between sort of fixing uh, something as opposed to starting from a blank canvas. <laughs> yeah, the, the the undoing, I do a lot of undoing um, with larger companies and 
Um, the main difference is politics, politics, and politics, mm-hmm. um, because people don't like the, some of the changes that I'm proposing. Yeah. Um, but I will only work with a company, no matter how big or small. Uh, if I work directly with CEO for a lot of a lot of the interaction, and then with ops or HR or people, what, what, one of the, 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 the team will help me deliver. Because we, you know, if the, if the CEO doesn't doesn't change their behavior and adapt their messaging, et cetera, et cetera, to the way we need to, then nobody will. So mm-hmm. it, it's the bigger companies are definitely slower. Um, there's a lot more. Um, there's a lot more making sure that people are on board and, and, and you're not stepping on too many toes, even though you always are. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, 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 the smaller companies are, you know, I probably work with 65, 70% smaller companies and mm-hmm. then 30% the, what I like to call the hairy gorillas. <laughs> and one thing I wanted to ask you about was about um, diversity and inclusion. Um, and I'm sure this is a big part of the work that you do. And I'm not alone in recognizing that not a lot of companies walk the talk. Um, so they might want to be more inclusive, uh, but they perhaps don't necessarily put that into practice. Um, so how do you work to build that into the work that you do? So there's not much I can I can do about the, the current diversity and inclusion in the company. We can obviously, you know, if, if this is an area that company feels as weak and leadership feels weak, we can start to do some work around the values there and, and possibly push some initiatives through down, down the line. Mm-hmm. But essentially, most companies are needing to bring in, to be more inclusive and to bring in a more diverse workforce. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things we do is we use um, values-based um, interview techniques to ensure that the interview, the interviewer is not, the decision is not being made on gut instinct or culture fit. Culture fit implies we're going to hire for our current culture. Mm. Um, And your current culture, if you are just a company of, you know, middle-aged white men is really not what you're aiming to to hire for. You want to hire for values fit. Um, And so you can, it's easier to find broad people who fit your values than it is to find people who are similar to you in a way. Um, so that's the first thing we do is we change the way the interview process happens so that the decisions are not being made based on how I feel about this, but are based on how this person fits the values and how we score them to fit our values as well. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a data driven process, um, that we use and, and we build a list of interview questions, um, so that whether it's a senior or a junior, you choose the right interview questions. And then you ask each candidate exactly the same questions and score them on their on their answers for believability and vividness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's we also we also change the way um, CVs come into the company. We change, you know, there are different things you can do, but the fundamental element, the the really critical piece of this is the actual hiring process and eliminating or trying to eliminate that um, gut instinct hire. Uh, and make it more a data-driven, does this person fit our values or not, yes or no, versus everybody else. Yeah. And the tools that you use, do they help, do they enable that to happen? Yeah, definitely. The, the, I've actually, we've, we've borrowed um, 
So I've interviewed a number of companies over 50 CEOs of high growth companies around their recruitment techniques, et cetera, et cetera. And we borrowed some uh, recruitment techniques from remote, some of the remote working companies like Hotjar um, and some of the, the tools that they use from a, um, you know, evaluating blind evaluations to ensure that, that the candidates who are coming through the, the process are, um, are, are not knocked out for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Okay. And talking about remote companies, which is obviously a huge topic at the moment, a lot of companies have been thrown into remote work, whether they like it or not. Uh, some companies were born remote, um, and some a lot of a lot of those you've worked with, such as, as Buffer uh, and Zapier. Um, and, and also some companies are transitioning now to a more hybrid way of working long term. So what are the key differences between building culture at remote companies um, or semi-remote companies versus a more traditional in-office company? Yeah, so this is this is actually um, one of the challenges that leaders are facing now is how do we if we if we do if we were working on our culture pre-COVID, how do we transition? Mm -hmm. And if we weren't, what do we do now? Because essentially that office space culture is degrading uh, mm -hmm. on a daily basis and people are, people are, are feeling less and less connected and less and less and as a community as a result of where we are in this um, fully, re fully remote environment. So um, the, the fundamental difference is based on the fact that remote work companies never ever had an office to rely on mm -hmm. so they didn't have osmosis they didn't have informal communication they didn't have those um water cooler moments they had to work harder on on these things so if you look at what remote companies do they first of all design work so that you don't so that it's more asynchronous you don't end up spending eight hours a day on Zoom so that by the time somebody wants to do a Zoom call at five o'clock to have a drink, you are exhausted. And the last thing you want to do is stare at this computer screen for another hour having a drink or having a quiz or whatever it is. So mm -hmm. they design work around asynchronous communication. And then what they do is they, they build micro communities and they build um, uh, strong um, a sort of agreed behaviors around values around their mission and vision and you'll find the leaders talk more about the values and mission and vision that and um co-working office-based co-located you know, leaders do, do they're much more deliberate about culture much more deliberate about hiring for their culture um mm. because they just couldn't get away with not being um, they had to be deliberate about it from the outset because there was no office doing the work for them Mm -hmm. Okay. And for those companies that were mostly office-based before the pandemic and they're now worried about their culture dissolving, is it fair to say that their culture perhaps wasn't strong enough in the first place? Yeah, so you, you, there, are, there are two situations. Um, the, the, the culture by default where it was just allowed to happen and we did a little work, a little bit of work around values and mission and vision and not much else. And mm -hmm. that that, that really was a weak culture. Um, the, the, on the other hand, you had companies that invested very, very uh, intensely in their, in their culture. They're finding it easier to do the transition now 
um, and they're finding it easier to, to, to adapt. They're still struggling. You might know very few companies are finding this uh, a, a walk in the park. Um, they still people are still struggling, and, and companies are, are still struggling. But really, what the what the remote companies, you know, they focused on things like documentation. How do we do documentation right so that when we onboard a new a new person, they can read about our culture? They don't have to meet seventeen people to talk about our culture. How do we recruit so that we recruit people who work the way we do? So they actually design tasks with candidates to ensure that those people can work with the company, not just be interviewed by the company. Mm-hmm. They, they built and build um, communication architectures. So they will say that Slack is for this, email is for that, we do not do, we do, we do not use this technology for that. So they build different communication architectures. And you can just you can see how they're designing their business where for for areas where we in co- in a co-located environment would have taken a lot of that for granted. Mm-hmm. And one of the ideals of any company is to create a, a transparent and trusting and psychologically safe culture. Um, and in my mind, this should be number one on the priority list. Um, but, but how do you get there? How can you encourage CEOs to, to trust their people, to be more transparent and to create that safe and inclusive space in a company? Well, the, I, I always start with um, transparency, because if you can be transparent, then you're leaning towards trust because you, people, people have to trust you because you have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. So, so if you can start to demonstrate transparency in the decisions, business decisions you're making, in the, the, the why you're doing certain things, if you also can demonstrate transparency around your own personal um, behavior. So with my team, for example, I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And I, you know, a couple of months ago, I just put my hand up and said, I am really struggling um, to get eight hours of work done a day. So I am going to be working between nine and 11 most nights. I'm not going to be emailing you. I'm not going to be Slack messaging you. I'm not going to be doing anything to demonstrate it. And But I don't want to do it behind you in any way so it appears wrong. I just want to tell you I'm doing it because I'm getting so much joy out of spending this time with my children because I'm enjoying it, but I also have to because if I don't, my wife will kill me. <laughs> Um, because the, the children are hard workers, as, as all parents know, especially with a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And, and so that's, you know, I put my hand up and I said, transparent, I just can't and I'm going to have to do this. I, you know, I'm not going to do it every night, but, but I, and I don't want you to do it, you know, mm-hmm. unless you feel this is the way you want to work and prefer to work. And one of my colleagues said, look, as you know, I'm a night owl. I've done this anyway. You know, this is just the way I work. And if you need to get a hold of me and chat, we can chat. Mm-hmm. But I, I try not to because, you know, it, I, don't think it, I don't think it demonstrates the right thing. So for me, it starts with transparency because then the transparency demonstrates there's nothing to hide. And the psychological safety piece is also around being transparent about your own issues, about the things that you're struggling with that then demonstrates to your people that they can have the same, you know, have a similar conversation and talk about similar things. Mm-hmm. And and those things that you were talking about just now, the um, the having the ability to, to put your hand up and say, you know, I I can't keep this up. It's not sustainable. I I do need some time. Uh, that's a really important thing to do, isn't it? Uh, but it's not necessarily an easy thing to do. Um, to, 
to be able to say to people that you know I need to <laughs> I need to take a break um, or and to be that transparent and and that's a huge part of a lot of the wellness discussions that are happening now um, at corporate level. So how important is that to, to build that into a culture at any size business? Yeah, it's it's really important and it's 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 hard. One of my clients mm. said to me, um, but Brett, we she was the head of people for an 80 person company. She said, but don't our people look at us like, you know, if we are, if we are weak, then, then do we have all the answers? You know, it was sort of like, if we show, we demonstrate weakness, our people won't respect us. And I actually said, it's the opposite. If you demonstrate weakness, it's not really weakness, but if you demonstrate human, human fallibility, or you demonstrate that you are struggling, if you demonstrate that you are underneath all of this, tough leadership exterior, just a person like everybody else, then people can relate to you better and people can share their feelings. And if you look at what remote work companies do, they actually, a lot of them train their leadership teams to have these conversations and management teams to have these conversations. And they they ultimately do a lot more one-to-ones with their team. They have smaller teams that they lead and they have one-to-ones that it's not always about business. It's about what the employee or the coworker or the or the line the person who you, you line manage it's about what they want to talk about mm-hmm. so you get to know how people are and you get you you, be, you build that friendship in a different way than we used to build it in a in a in a co-located environment so yeah i i believe it's 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 really important there's a there's a tsunami wave of of health and well-being issues coming down the track and it's uh, it's already starting now and i just think mm-hmm. this is one of the ways to get ahead of it is to pull the psychological safety into the environment. Absolutely. And we're only human. Yeah, at the um, end of the day, very yeah, human. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. The virus seems to have our number. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we need to look after each other. And and we always say that the future of work is, is all about the people. So that is uh, is so important. And, yeah. and taking that another step further, looking at skills, um, you refer to proactive learning environments um, as part of building culture. Um, and in my mind, this ties into the need for employees uh, to constantly reskill and upskill um, as jobs change and evolve. Um, and of course, this is a huge, a huge component for the future of work. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about proactive learning um, and how that ties into building culture? Yeah, so if you're not, if your team aren't learning, then they're not developing. And most of the companies I work with are high growth companies um, they have to learn. And most companies are developing in these high growth stages are developing faster than the people can actually develop themselves. So if you if you create the ability within your team to learn, that's often through learning through mistakes, learning through failure, which is where we go to that environment of psychological safety. If I fail, if I make a mistake and it's on, it's a, it's a, it's a valid mistake. It's a, you know, it's not me being really stupid. It's, I, you know, this is what I've tried. This is why I tried it. And this is the mistake I made. And I learn from it. Then I learn, the company learns, I get better and I don't make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. And this, this idea of, of developing yourself deliberately in, in an office environment or in a work environment is, I think it, it's, it's the, it really is part of the future of work. It, it, it makes me think about, there's a wonderful book called An Everyone Culture. Um, and it's by Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy. And it's looking at three different companies uh, Bridgewater, Decurion, and NextJump, and looking at how they are deliberately developmental organizations. So everything they do is about improving you as a human being. 
it's tough. It's not easy. They work on your weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera. But they are, I've had the privilege of working with Next Jump and being in, you know, inside their offices when we could go back and go in, into offices. And it's just incredible to see how these people, they, they, they develop so quickly and so incredibly, so incredibly, the impact is so incredible. Um, and they're such adaptable organizations. Without learning, you don't build adaptability. And without adaptability, you don't survive these sorts of pandemics. You really mm -hmm. struggle versus companies that are going, okay, um, let's adapt here. How do, we, how do we change? What have we learned from the past and what can we learn now? Mm -hmm. And given the choice, would you happily go back to the face-to-face -face environments that we were in before? Or do you think we can, we can carry on building culture and doing a lot of the things that we're doing remotely? Or do we really need that face-to-face -face element? I think um, personally, I like a bit of face-to-face, -face, but I'm—I don't need it per se. Mm -hmm. It's—it's it's nice to go and have a drink with friends and you know after work and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. it's not. But there are a lot of people who do need it, and yeah. younger people need it as well. The younger people learn through osmosis, and they also like the vibe, etc. So, mm -hmm. I do feel sorry for the you know people coming out of uni and that kind of stuff now. It's, it can't be easy to be sitting in your bedroom doing this when you should be. But you think you should be having fun somewhere yeah. um, in Soho, where, where, wherever you are. Um, but the, the 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 opportunity, I think, is for companies to 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 learn what they need to learn from remote from remote work environments, mm -hmm. and then adapt in this hybrid situation. Use your office as a place for meetings and for people, if they want to work, they can work there, but also use it for bringing people together, you know, building the physical culture element. Um, even remote work companies like Hotjar still met twice a year and they mm -hmm. gave their employees a annual travel budget to go and work with colleagues because they understand how important that is. Yeah. So it's, you know, use your office now as a, as a means of, uh, of, of getting people together. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be building a hybrid work culture, a deliberate hybrid work culture, mm -hmm. because in the future, candidates are going to be asking, what are you doing around asynchronous communication? What does your documentation look like? What percentage of your processes are in people's heads versus actually defined and written down? Tell me about how, you, how your trust and transparency, as we were talking about earlier. Tell me about how you work, what percentage of your, of your managers are micromanagers. Mm -hmm. These are the questions that are going to be coming up in interviews just because, you know, this people are, are burning out and people realize that this is a new and you've got to work out a new way of working. And the companies that build this capability are going to be the ones that can pick and choose their employees in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's all about choice, isn't it, for the employer and the employee if they have the option to, to choose where they work and how they work and have more flexibility. But that's empowering and that's that's quite powerful for a culture for a company isn't it yeah it absolutely is and the ability to create that environment where the people working outside the office do not feel second class citizens mm. um, that is that's i think that's the future of of the you know it is the future of work is building that work capability yeah and i've, I've got um a little phrase here on my, my list of questions that i have to ask you about and it's brilliant jerks and bad hires <laughs> now um I, I picked up on that when i was reading re researching your your book so uh please tell us what that means <laughs> <laughs> so so a brilliant jerk is somebody who 
um, can literally turn water into wine um, is either just an incredible salesperson or the best engineer or you know just an unbelievable marketeer and and they are absolutely incredible but they are also incredibly destructive to the culture of your business so they are okay. brilliant they're a jerk so they are rude they are selfish they are political they manage up they um, are snide they can be you know, there are lots of negatives that, that a brilliant jerk can can be, and I think we've all we've all worked with at least one of them or two of them in our in our in our, in our careers where you just go, wow, you're so good, but ugh, I can't stand working with you. you know, <laughs> yes, no, and actually, the, the the thing about that is there are only six ways to embed company culture, and the people you hire is one of those those six. So if you've got a team of people and we're all building this great, you know, this great business, we've, we've got a strong functional culture, we are, um, you know, we're, we can see we're tracking in the right direction, we're working really hard, we're putting our all in and we're loving life. And then you bring in a brilliant jerk who doesn't communicate, doesn't collaborate, doesn't share, but is hitting, you know, is, is, as an individual is doing incredible things. Mm-hmm. The rest of the team look at this and go, "You've you, you're not you, you, you're breaking. You, there's the, the, there's a disconnect here between the culture you're claiming you want to build and the person you've you've hired here, and that has an incredibly negative impact on your team. Mm-hmm. And there are there are a few leaders, and I'd count them probably on my one hand, who might be able to get away with managing brilliant jerkness." But most companies can't and shouldn't. And the brilliant mm-hmm. jerk, in my opinion, should be should be terminated as quickly as possible. Wow. Okay. There is a there is a short term hit on the business, but there is a long term gain for your culture and for the people who have been there and want to you know want to continue to be at your business. Mm-hmm. That being said, if you want to, if you if you've hired a brilliant jerk to take your company down a different path. And you're happy for your culture to change, and you're going to manage that culture change, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But that's deliberate versus hiring somebody that you that that is that, that just interviews very well, but then when they get into the office, they are they are a toxic, toxic, toxic person. Yeah. And what kind of hallmarks of a, of a toxic culture um, are out there? What, what sort of things? What what are the alarm bells that business leaders should be looking out for? So the challenge for business leaders is they have often have a um, a somewhat skewed view of what their culture is because they're at the top of the pile and they're getting a certain level of communication. Um, but essentially, they're, they're, you, your culture can be strong or weak, functional or dysfunctional. So an example of a strong strong culture is where your values are understood and your mission and vision, they're understood, lived um, by the team, lived by the leadership. Um, you can you can you can see the culture in action. Mm-hmm. And a functional culture is where the, actually the way the company functions accelerates the business. So to give you an example of a dysfunctional culture, a dysfunctional culture may be where there is a lot of politics in your business. The politics actually slows the business down and hampers the success of the business. Mm-hmm. And a weak culture is when nobody knows the values, cares for the values, 
Um, and so a weak dysfunctional culture is where the toxicity is, is its worst. Mm -hmm. And that's typically where you, your, your team don't know what the values are. They don't live them. They don't care. They're, you've got a high turnover of staff. You hire people that you, you, you don't recognize um, why they've been hired. You don't, you don't recognize your company in them. Um, and uh, there is a lot of backbiting and backstabbing and politics going on in the organization. Okay. So that weak dysfunctional piece is what you really want to avoid. Okay. Okay. Well, that gives us food for thought. Um, and we're just getting near the end of our episode now. Um, but before we go, can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about building a, a positive culture and preferably one that does turn water into wine? I'd, I'd sign up for that. <laughs> um, and how they, can, <laughs> how they can get in touch with you. Yes. Um, so I, uh, my website is www.culturegene.ai. Um, people can reach out to me directly, Brett at culturegene.ai. I am I, I'm a scholar of culture, so I love talking to people about their businesses and their culture and what they're doing, and I'm happy to give advice in in, in areas where I feel I can. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and on Twitter, and my books are available on Amazon. Um, Own Your Culture is the most recent one, as you mentioned, and Culture Dex Decoded is the first book I wrote, which is a, a, a breakdown of the best culture decks on the web. Um, and I'm, um, yeah, I'm spending quite a bit of time on this newfangled thing called Clubhouse at the moment. So if you want mm. to find me there, um, this new social media that I'm not really sure I'm fully um, bought into. But uh, yeah, uh, please have you know, reach out. I'd be happy to chat. Fantastic. That sounds great. Well, thank you, Brett, for sharing your knowledge um, and your experience of all things culture today. We've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot um, and we've really enjoyed having you on. So thank you very much. Um, we hope to have you on the podcast again sometime. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks, really, thanks for your time. Really enjoyed it. It's been great to have you. Thank you. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?